Hello and welcome to all of our listeners. This is the Cap Gemini Customer Perspective Podcast, where we're going to be keeping you up to date with the latest news from the customer experience world, as well as reviewing the latest trends and technology breakthroughs. I'm Alice Paul, and today I'm joined by Karishma and Susan, and together we form part of the digital marketing team at Cap Gemini Invent. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us, Alice. Um, yeah, so I'm Susan McGinn, and as Alice said, I'm part of the digital marketing team in the UK, and it's absolutely great to be here today. Yep, I'm really excited to be here and join the conversation with you both. And as Alice mentioned, I'm Karishma Joshi, and I'm also part of the digital marketing team, uh, working closely with these guys in the UK. So today we're going to be focusing our discussion on social media and there's a number of topics I'm really excited to chat to you both about. We've all felt the huge impact of social media on our daily lives um, and its rapid growth has significantly changed how we connect with not only each other but also with brands and the media. And now obviously given the impact of COVID-19, the shift we're seeing to online and the emergence of more D to C business models. I really want to explore how we see the evolving social media landscape um, and also what brands must do to survive. But before we get into the discussion, it's time for a quick fire round. Um, so Karish from Susan, please answer quickly um, and without thinking too much. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So firstly, Snapchat story or Instagram story? Instagram Insta. story. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What was your screen time last week? I think mine was two hours and 40 something. I got a notification this morning. (laughs) That's crazy. I think I got mine down to 10 minutes or so. Wow. So impressive. (laughs) A lot more than that. And I won't be sharing how much mine is. (laughs) Any TikTok dances during lockdown? Just no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, any plans to digital detox? Yeah, I've been trying over lockdown um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I can detox any further, to be honest. Um, <laughs> no, feeling pretty good about that. my screen time. <laughs> cool. Okay, so let's get going. So I guess my first question or prediction is, is this the end of Facebook? The latest report from Infinite Dial showed that overall Facebook use across all demographics declined for the first time ever in 2018. And particularly Facebook use is declining amongst younger users. According to Forbes, Americans aged 65 plus make up 41% of all American users, which is actually crazy when you think about it. So why do you think we're seeing this trend? And should brands be mindful of this when choosing a platform to advertise on? You know what, I think you've kicked us off with a really good question, Alice. Um, And I think actually one reason behind this decline of younger users is that we're seeing new social media networks emerge all of the time. Um, And younger audiences tend to be early adopters of these, especially, um, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, etc. They all offer far more visual and interactive experiences. Yeah, I totally agree, Susan. As we all know, Instagram is one of the most rapidly growing social media platforms. And the stats clearly show that the majority of its users are under 30. And, you know, this is where brands really need to be extra conscious of not falling into the trap of basic demographic based audience segmentation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just think about it. If you take Instagram and everyone on the platform is under 30, then you need to be far more sophisticated with your methods of, you know, audience segmentation, as you said, and and you need to be targeting them based on their passions and their needs dates rather than just their age, because with age, you'll be capturing everyone in one go. 
Um, and to be honest, I think actually another reason for youngsters choosing Instagram is that it's really been so good with integrating commerce. And so the shoppable posts on Instagram, you know, allow you and I to shop from your local store or high street or even now like luxury retail stores. And this just opens up huge DTC potential for brands and provides, you know, what I'd consider a seamless consumer journey for the shopper. A hundred percent. I mean, just look at Instagram shopping, which I think is now live in, I think, 70 countries. You can tag your images and stories with the products that are featured on your posts, like the clothes you're wearing or the furniture in the background of your house, for example. And then your audience can actually tap to go straight to your store to make the purchase. So obviously, if you don't have an e-commerce capability set up, this is such an amazing solution for small businesses. Mm. Have you guys heard of Instagram Checkout? It's a new feature that actually goes way beyond Instagram shopping. So it's more like a fully contained shopping experience within the Instagram app itself. Currently, it's only available to select brands like Nike and Kylie Cosmetics. But with this feature, you can see a product that you like on your Instagram feed and then complete the entire purchase without ever even leaving Instagram. Yeah. And I think, you know what, this is a big sign that Instagram's um, sort of roadmap of development is placing more and more emphasis on shoppable commerce. Um, And the unique thing about social media versus traditional e-com is that Instagram is not just lower funnel purchase, right? So actually, Facebook data says that 70% of shoppers look to Instagram for product discovery. So it actually has got this big see, think, do trajectory from brand awareness and engagement straight down to brand advocacy and building that repeat purchase loyalty pattern as well you know although some people say or they talk about Facebook being dead actually you know Facebook is not that far behind it has Facebook shops um, and the Facebook pay through the messenger app obviously any development within Instagram is driven by Facebook in a broader sense but it looks like they're really trying to mirror that across both platforms and I think I think one thing to consider is that this is increasingly going to create walled gardens for organizations to advertise within, which will be so expensive to scale up. I wonder if this will push organizations away from D2C via social and more to D2C on brand.com. What do you think? Yeah, well, Facebook shops is a strange one, though, isn't it? It's primarily targeted towards small businesses to help them get online. And I wonder if that niche has already been fulfilled by the likes of Etsy and others. And I also wonder if it will cannibalize across Facebook Marketplace, which is already so well established. Yeah, I see your point, but I actually think that Facebook Shops is, you know, it's fully integrated. So it's integrated across Instagram Direct, Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp. And it's also got live streaming shopping potential as well. And so for businesses in Southeast Asia, um, where live streaming is a big thing and where Facebook collab ads is 90% or something of their media spend, I think we really can't underestimate the influence of Facebook Shops in this arena. And I think we'll see Facebook and Instagram playing a big role in social commerce over the next few years which to Alice's point I think will be a concern in terms of walled gardens and how brands can make their media spend work harder. Yeah I think you're right businesses in all industries have taken a significant interest in apps like Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp and it's obviously no surprise when you look at the opportunities so while traditional channels like email and social media are far from dead there's no denying that people are far more active on instant messaging apps and this offers a huge opportunity for brands to engage with their consumers directly for sure and actually in the next five to seven years messenger marketing is expected to be the number one marketing channel in the world so you know it's naturally a logical step for brands to start connecting with people on these platforms yeah and what about wechat you know um 
people are calling it the most powerful mobile platform um, in the world, let alone in China. It's got, you know, I think nearly a billion active users and Coach, Estee Lauder, Gap, all of these companies have embedded their loyalty programs within WeChat itself. And they're now running, you know, CRM and engagement through the app. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And WeChat is also far more dynamic than the likes of WhatsApp or even Line. Um, And we see it in these interactive games. For example, Gerland, which I can never pronounce the the name of, um, their WeChat game to celebrate its latest lipstick attracted, I think it was about 20,000 page views and about 10,000 players within 10 days of its launch, which is just mad. Yeah, exactly. I think WeChat is really a pioneer in this kind of social media marketing. It's actively being used by brands to, you know, incentivize and create brand loyalty in such a simple yet scalable way. I know, for example, Unilever has launched unique QR codes on products that feed into a WeChat mini program for various of their campaigns, such as their recycling initiative. And it also helps attract products and prevent counterfeit. So the benefits really range from marketing all the way to supply chain efficiencies. And guys, do you guys remember last year for Chinese New Year, Burberry also sent their followers like a photo of a gift and encouraged them to shake it open. Once you shook it, it revealed this personalized greeting that could be sent to a friend. And, you know, obviously this ended up going viral. Um, And I think this kind of gamification and building in of rewards in our messaging apps is totally new and fresh. And it's, I think, a safe prediction to think that in the future, we can expect to see far more marketing through messaging apps, which with, you know, much more interactive, personalized video or dynamic content. Definitely. So I think, (laughs) going back to the question, I think the conclusion we can draw is that younger demographics and more tech-savvy consumers of today want brands to connect with them in new, dynamic and exciting ways that make the customer journey easier, personalised and just much more enjoyable. Yeah. And for organisations, I think this is a great challenge for them, right? So how can they create a single view of the customer across all of these different and indeed emerging channels? And how can they create and syndicate content fast enough, especially the dynamic content that we've been talking about, like the interactive games, uh, which take far longer to produce? And I think these are questions that you know, these brands will need to face as they scale up and try to reduce marketing spend, especially with budget constraints that all of us are facing as a result of COVID-19. Speaking of dynamic content, Snapchat has been ramping up its AR and shoppable commerce capabilities recently. I don't know if you've seen, but they've actually introduced these lens enhanced selfies with your shoes in it. And you can, it allows shoppers to digitally try on your shoes and shop for them on the go. So you can try them on at home or wherever you please, really. Wow, that's so cool. I really think that's the natural progression from trying on makeup and and having sunglasses and dog ear filters on Snapchat, right? I mean, this AR technology is taking social media one step closer to, you know, actually being able to try on a full digital wardrobe, which would be so useful. Um, But what does this mean for the fashion industry's advertising spend? Is it going to explode to try and accommodate this? That's such a good question. And actually, you know, I've got another one, which is like, what is this going to mean for the future of retail and bricks and mortar stores? If there's no reason for a changing room or to try on anything and you can all do it from the comfort of your home, um, you know, what's the future for them? We're already seeing a decline uh, with, you know, same day delivery, free returns. And is this just the final nail in the coffin? 
Well, I think it's really about getting the right mix of bricks and clicks and avoiding putting your eggs in all all in one basket, really. You know, when we're past the era of social distancing, I've no doubt that consumers will st- still want to visit shops and try clothes on. It's an experience. And we all know the experience economy was thriving before COVID. So, you know, brands must be ready to adapt this mix of online and offline to fit with consumer trends, particularly when a crisis like the one that we're in arrives. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Karishma. And, you know, actually, we've not touched upon this, but another game changer I think we should be mentioning when it comes to shopping at home and experience is is voice search. So, Um, You know, loads of people I know have started purchasing these digital assistants. And I think this is going to be the new normal as we as we stay at home. Um, We're going to be seeing consumers use voice search much more and for shopping. And what does this mean for brands? You know, I think um, they're going to have to think about optimizing their content, not just online and across social media, but also uh, optimize it so that these voice controlled assistants can find it straight away. And that means moving towards a style that's much more conversational um, and voice related. Yeah, that's a great point, Susan. I think optimizing for voice search will also be critical to their SEO success. Also, another factor to consider is that a major chunk of voice queries is for local content. So, you know, consumers are likely to make near me searches via voice. So ensuring that your Facebook business pages, Instagram posts, all of those are optimized to be picked up by this type of search is really crucial. And for brands, geotargeting drive to store or location-based ads and content will also be key in, in success for this. You know, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if soon Facebook started enabling full voice control. So I don't know, you'll be able to open messages and reply to them by just using your voice. And maybe in the near future, brands and influencers may even be creating ad campaigns, you know, using voice too. So, so really organizations need to think about whether their existing mad tech stack is equipped for disruptions like voice. Um, and I, I suspect they're not really doing this. But obviously, the key is to future-proof your marketing functions so that you can build this cross-functional capability um, and that you're agile in order to respond to emerging channels and changes successfully. And that you can also rapidly build a way of working and process around new technologies. So... So I guess speaking of influencers, um, what are both your thoughts on the trends we're seeing there? Any predictions at all? I think this category is going to become, you know, far more authentic um, and also therefore far more effective in the future. So when we think about a few years ago, it made sense for a brand to tap into um, what we'd consider as big as an audience as possible and therefore to work with celebrities or macro influencers Um, but I think actually due to the amount of like sponsored content and ads on their pages versus um, you know passionate organic content these influencers and celebrities have started to lack um, authenticity and their followers have begun to question whether they're getting paid for every single post, which obviously no one wants to see. They want to see the real you. So as a result, we're going to see a drop in this um, micro influencers and celebrities being used in favour of you know, niche, micro and, and even nano influencers. So people with only a thousand followers they they seem much more trustworthy and relatable uh, suddenly compared to those with millions of followers mm, completely agree susan i think you know people are craving meaningful stories about real humans and this has really been brought to light by covid during which 
we've all been flooded with fake news and you know we're not really clear on what the future will bring but consumer behavior and sentiment has continued to reflect the uncertainty of the pandemic so brand authenticity is more important than ever before nano and micro influencers also allow a brand to target specific audiences in specific locations so you know for example a micro influencer who lived in the area that you were just about to open a new restaurant in it can help to increase your chances of reaching others who might spend time at your restaurant and so it's a no-brainer for brands really yeah and the followers are so much more engaged as it feels like more of a one-to-one conversation have you guys heard of the startup Zyper? it's so cool it uses an algorithm to identify a brand's top one percent of fans and then brings the two together on projects so it really stems from this idea that influencers are coming less and less relevant and every consumer has the power to collaborate with a brand that they love um and they they seem themselves as almost like a a hybrid loyalty program as it's about rewarding genuine brands as opposed to just paying people to post. You know what, Alice, I've not heard of that, but I can definitely see why that would take off. Um, And, you know, we always hear about peer-to-peer referral or word of mouth being the most trusted form of advertising out there, right? And, you know, speaking of that, isn't that quite a similar concept to sort of social media communities? Yes, exactly. You know, building social media communities is all about bringing together a group of people with something in common, um, an interest in your brand. And, you know, they allow brands to go beyond simple likes or shares and actually build deeper and more meaningful relationships with their consumers by driving conversational interactions that can also, you know, really support their defined brand objectives and drive brand success. So I think key elements that we're seeing brands incorporate into their strategy include sharing user-generated content, hosting giveaways and performing attentive community management. And it's not an entirely new concept, but it is being developed by brands in different ways to benefit their business. So when I think about brands like, for example, Glossier, I think they're a prime example of a really successful social media community. There's obviously a few elements at play that make the brand, you know, really successful in the beauty space. But as a whole, I reckon it's their ability to empower women and then build that community around the brand that's really led to their growth and success. Um, Because obviously the majority of their growth has just come from peer-to-peer recommendations within that community. Yeah, that is a great example. And, you know, a challenge many brands face with social media today is that they have a large presence, but there's no real engagement. And I guess social media communities are a great way to tackle this and actually drive brand engagement to ultimately achieve more conversions. And also to your point earlier, Susan, around how consumers are craving authenticity. Well, you know, social media communities are also a powerful mechanism to help humanize brands and achieve just that. Mm, That's a good point, Karishma. And I think also what's really powerful with these communities is not just engagement, but also engagement across all the different stages of the marketing funnel. So they can help keep uh, consumers engaged with your brand, but also attract new leads who want to feel part of a community. And once you've managed to get your social communities to engage through content and one-to-one interactions, then then you can continue tracking this engagement through your community with, with social listening, for example. A hundred percent. It really is amazing. So like by just scraping data from conversations across social media, social listening gives brands immediate access to valuable and unbiased feedback on their products, um, as well as brands and campaigns while they're in flight. Um, And it also allows brands to understand, you know, market trends, category trends, as well as consumer trends from all around the world. Um, and it, obviously, this really helps to anticipate, you know, any shifts in in the consumer landscape. 
I agree. I think it's not to be underestimated. And particularly the best thing about this is, you know, it generates actionable insights um, in real time, which organisations can then use to address those top line business questions. Um, And if consumers are talking about your brand or your product or your campaign in a negative way, then this insight can be fed back to the relevant part of the organisation to address the issue instantly, um, such as, you know, uh, supply chain or product design. And these insights can also inform uh, the latest trends in consumer behaviour and preferences before the consumer themselves are even aware of them. Um, so it's a massive competitive advantage for brands. Yeah, that's that's very true. And, you know, that's why I don't think we'll ever see a return to traditional advertising as we know it. I think consumers will constantly be searching for the next frontier and organisations will struggle to keep up unless they're agile enough to keep a finger on the pulse of consumer behaviours. And, you know, social listening is just one example of a rich data source to collect these insights from. Definitely. So, Brands are clearly facing challenges in social media marketing, but one of the biggest challenges we haven't spoken about so far is the trend of people actually moving away from social media completely. And I obviously asked you both earlier whether you had plans to digital detox at all. Karishma, firstly, um, what made you say yes? Um, You know, I think more people are now choosing to detox from social media. I'm definitely seeing it in my social circle. I don't know about you both, but people are genuinely deleting apps and their profiles in order to create this kind of barrier and step away. Um, What we're seeing is more than just the usual changes that, you know, we have seen in the past in terms of people choosing to use one platform less in favor of another, like, you know, with Facebook users declining, but Instagram attracting more. This trend is actually people taking a temporary or permanent break from so all types of social media but you know I can't lie I will definitely miss Sam Thompson's Kardashian inspired content on Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> Funny that you mentioned that because I was literally just looking at it the other day Krishma it's it's hilarious um, but yeah I think this detox is a trend that we're seeing you know quite prominently um, you know figures like one in three adults in the UK are now actively reducing their social media use and something like eight percent of users have not just removed the app but they've actually deleted the account altogether so you know we know that that means they're serious right um, and a big reason I think for this is is just oversaturation like complete permeation of social media into our daily lives like I think it's simply too much we've never seen such proliferation of content like 5,000 ads a day is just too much for consumers to to want and handle. Mm, completely agree and you know we always see mental health and well-being um, obviously alongside trust and data being cited as the top reasons for reducing social media usage because people just can't handle it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not to say that social media will become a a void for digital marketing, but I think it's important really for marketers to understand um, the potential impact of this change in consumer behaviour and and what it means for them. So with more people choosing to take on a a digital detox, as it were, um, this is not just going to impact Apple Funnel reach and engagement, right? But it's also going to impact performance marketing. So how are brands going to be converting online and where are their ads driving to? Yeah. And I think for me, in order for brands to tackle this, you know, they're going to have to learn how to benefit from this digital detox and actually become almost like a part of it. I'm not suggesting the brands stop advertising altogether or anything like that, but rather engage with their consumers about something that's fun and interesting alongside other marketing activities. 
Mm, it's really interesting you say that, Krishma. Um, for example, I was looking at Oatly the other day and their brand website now has a distraction element. So they provide colouring in pictures you can download and ideas of offline games and things like that. So obviously, while it's not direct marketing, the idea is, I guess, that you associate Oatly with spending you know, quality time with family and friends so that when you next see an Instagram or Facebook ad for Oatly, that positive image um, and that positive perception of the brand will make them so much more likely to convert. Mm. That's such a great way to look at it. You know, capitalize on the digital detox to maximize the impact of your social media marketing. Um, how ironic. And I, you know, I'm sure we'll see plenty more brands using this tactic in the future as well. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how the marketing function adapts, you know, whether it'll be subsumed by another more holistic function of the business, like customer engagement or brand experience, uh, where they manage not just marketing, but also the offline element that you've been speaking about with Oatly. That's such a good question, Susan, but I'm so sorry, guys. We're going to have to leave it there for today. Um, but thank you to all for listening and to Susan and Karishma for joining me today and sharing their predictions for social media um, and also their advice on how brands can survive in these challenging times. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been lovely. So a reminder, you can subscribe to the Capgemini Customer Perspective podcast using your favourite podcasting app, for example, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'll be back with another episode next month. So don't forget to tune in. Speak soon. This is Designing Momentum, a podcast from Capgemini. Designing Momentum is a show about what it takes to build and maintain momentum in business. When the odds are against you, how do you forge your own path? Original ideas very rarely come from looking in the same places you always look. So in this show, we'll be turning the spotlight in a different direction that you wouldn't necessarily think to look. Hosted by me, Frank Wammers, and with the help of Rachel Burford, International Women's Rugby World Cup winner, and experts in emerging technology and sport, we'll be exploring why what goes on in the boardroom isn't so different to what happens on the pitch. Make sure you subscribe now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.